you are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 94. In this episode of the podcast, I welcome back best-selling author Lee Goldberg. Lee's latest book is in the Ian Ludlow series, Fake Truth, which will be published on April 7th, 2020. During this interview, we chatted about his uh, latest book and his uncanny streak of writing about events that suddenly make the news. We'll talk about that and a whole bunch more uh, coming up. Before we start, a quick word about Masterclass. Masterclass offers online classes which can be accessed at any time at your convenience over at thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. You can get unlimited access to all 80 plus instructors like Steve Martin, Samuel L. Jackson, Malcolm Gladwell, Annie Leibovitz, and then my favorite three masterclasses are from the best-selling thriller and suspense writers, James Patterson, David Baldacci, and Dan Brown. Those were phenomenal. Uh, you can check them out at uh, thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. That is my affiliate link, so it's a great way to support this podcast. I thank you very much. So here we go, my interview with Lee Goldberg. Yeah, so excited to have you back on the uh, podcast. Oh, thank you. I, it's so weird to have a book come out so closely after another one, but it just worked out that way. Yeah, is that the, is that the first time? Because that's, uh, yeah, it was like three months apart. Yeah, it was weird because Lost Hills was supposed to come out back in September, and they moved it. I can't remember for what reason. And Fake Truth already was, was set for April, and all of my Ian Ludlow books come out in March or April. So they decided, you know, we're not going to move the fake truth. We'll just leave it where it is, and maybe uh, the publicity for Lost Hills will actually help fake truth. We'll see. So tell me about uh, fake truth. Well, fake truth is uh, the third book in my Ian Ludlow series about a thriller novelist whose stories come true. He's got this amazing supernatural ability almost to predict the future. So he gets recruited by the CIA, who just want to know his story ideas, and he ends up getting into deep trouble. He's he's an unwilling secret agent of sorts. This is a book is is kind of like Law and Order. A lot of stuff is ripped from the headlines. <laughs> Not <did> intentionally. <laughs> you know, I'm, I make this stuff up, and then while I'm writing, it starts coming true. I, I feel very much like the hero of my book, Ian Ludlow. I, I my fiction can't keep up with the reality because the reality keeps trumping my fiction. No pun intended. It's just weird. Uh, at a certain point in this book, I just had to stop and, and embrace it. It's like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get ahead of reality. And people will just think I ripped this book from the headlines. But in fact, when I wrote this book, what I was writing hadn't happened yet. And the same thing occurred in my first two Ian Ludlow novels. I made up this stuff, and to my shock, it, it came true. Um, my wife is saying, you, you need to go to Las Vegas. Why don't you predict things that can actually make us some money? <laughs> yeah, you also had some uh, things come true with uh, your other book, Lost Hills, too, with, a, with those terrible fires. So, yeah, I'm yeah. Kind of, a little spooked. <laughs> that was creepy because I wrote about this giant wildfire sweeping through the Santa Monica Mountains. And then I found myself evacuated by my home. And I live in the Santa Monica Mountains. Proofing my galley description of a fire raging through the Santa Monica Mountains. It was just weird and now in the so fake in fake truth of the lee and little series he's a best-selling author who gets involved in all these uh, adventures um how much of uh, of his personality of your personality is an ian little oh probably as little as 98 <laughs> percent. Oh, that's all <laughs> he's, i'm not ian ludlow he, he's 
you know, he can't seem to get laid, and and his social life is a mess, and and uh, he's this not failed TV writer, but he's a TV writer who has well, actually, much of that is my life. <laughs> I've been married for thirty years, but I mean, Ian Ludlow is me in that he writes these action adventure novels, but it's nothing like the heroes he writes about, and that's sort of how I came up with the idea for this series. I, I, I got such a kick out of seeing my author friends who write about these extremely self-confident and, and skilled action adventure heroes who themselves are not. You know, they're dumpy, and they're, they, they, they'd be scared if someone uh, pulled out a gun, and they, they couldn't do any of the things that their heroes do. So I thought it would be funny if an action-adventure writer found himself in one of the situations that his hero is in, and how would he behave? And it goes to the heart of, of your question, in a way, because although Tickly Child, he's not Jack Reacher, he is Jack Reacher, because everything Jack Reacher thinks and everything about Jack Reacher's psychology comes from Lee Child. Lee Child may not have the actual training and skills, but he has the mindset. So theoretically, with the exception of being this exceptional fighter, he, he might be able to do some of the things that uh, Reacher does. And that's something my hero, Ian Ludlow, realizes about himself. Okay, I may not be Clint Straker, freelance spy for hire, but I did create the guy, so maybe I can survive in, in one of these scary situations. And, and it's also fun to make, to, to poke holes in the cliches and tropes of the genre. I mean, he's not fantastic and bad, and and fighting is a lot sloppier than it is on TV and in the movies and in these books. He's, he's discovering every day the conflict between fiction and reality, and of course, where they merge, and how in the world we're in today, especially the world we're in today, it's hard to tell where truth and fiction end. Yeah, that's a big part of these books is the humor, which kind of makes it, uh, you know, for being a thriller, it's still a lot of action, but the, the humor is such an important part of it, too. I'm trying to walk a fine line between satirizing the genre while at the same time delivering exactly what the genre readers expect. I want my book to be a kick-ass thriller, but I'm also shining a light on how these thrillers are conceived and the cliches of these thrillers and trying to subvert them. So I'm trying to also show readers what we as writers think while we're writing these things and how we structure our stories and how absurd that construction is when you look at the real world. But then maybe it's not so absurd the way the real world now is using to the tools of fiction to influence reality. That's why Fake Truth was such a, a strange book for me, because while I was writing it, so much of it was becoming true. So much of what I was making up about how fiction is influencing reality and the tools of fiction are being used by people, they actually were being used. And it was, I mean, the, the book, uh, Fake Truth, arose from something I read in a, in a trade magazine. When I say trade, it's a, a magazine for the entertainment industry, which I'm, which I'm in, and it talked about this new editing software. Uh, there's special software that's used to you know, edit TV shows and movies. And, and every time you shoot a movie, it's, it's necessary to re-record dialogue for, for all kinds of different reasons. And actors hate coming in to re-record the dialogue because they have to match their dialogue to the, their images on screen. The, the slang term for this process is looping. Actors hate to loop. So uh, a software company came up with a way if they only had a few lines of dialogue from the actor where they could recreate the lines in the computer. You didn't need the actor to come in, and it was indistinguishable from the actor doing the lines himself. But that software company has not released that update because they didn't think about the unintended consequences. 
you could put words in anybody's mouth, and no one would know what was real, what was fiction. And they haven't found a way to, to fix that. <laughs> so, and, and also, I came up with, with at the time I thought was fictional, a way to to sync um, the visual to match the fake dialogue. Oh. Well, now you have these things called deep fakes. They're doing it live on the Tonight Show. You're turning, um, you're make, making people say things that they wouldn't ordinarily say. So it was reality caught up with my fiction. Yeah, that's a crazy. Those deep fakes are crazy. I saw that on uh, on a YouTube video with a they had a Bill Hader interview and he was morphing into Tom Cruise. You can tell yeah. who was who. It was really creepy. <laughs> yeah. So you know now you can have. The president saying anything outrageous you can come up with, but then again, he's doing it anyway, so it's sort of pointless. But it's, there was that, but also things about international surveillance, and I, and I made up some stuff about what the Russians are doing, but no sooner had I made it up than it turned out that the Russians were doing exactly what I made up. It was just so weird. But there are some things I did take from reality. I, I kind of spoof Steven Seagal and his relationship with Putin. And uh, you know, I'm just I, I'm just so amused by these dictators' love affairs with failed American celebrities. You know, Dennis Rodman being yeah. so popular in North Korea. You know, Kanye West. He's not failed, but you know, Trump's love affair with Kanye. I don't know why these these dictatorial leaders like to align themselves with really crazy, burned out celebrities. It's strange. Didn't know about Steven Seagal and Putin. <laughs> oh yeah, Steven Seagal's over there all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> Oh, and then this book, even with like the whole similarities with the in your life, it, it comes even more meta. And I think it's so, so cool is that Ian Ludlow was actually a name that you had used as a pen name. Yeah, that's an end joke because when I was 19 years old, I wrote three vigilante novels. I was 19, and I was writing about this kick-ass action hero, and I didn't know anything about kicking ass. <laughs> so I wrote these books, three fifty-seven vigilante under the pseudonym Ian Ludlow. So I'd be on the shelf next to Robert Ludlum and Ian for Ian Fleming. So readers would go, Ian Ludlow. You know, I think I've read something by him. It wasn't bad. And I thought it, was, it would be funny if I was writing about a, an author whose novels are coming to life if I basically named the author me. You know, Ian Ludlow was me. And it, it just adds a different level to the story if people dig into the research and you know, research me and discover, wait a minute, Lee Goldberg was Ian Ludlow. And he was writing these action-adventure novels they couldn't possibly have known anything about it his age at the time. <laughs> yeah, 19. That's the one where there. I had reading your web, uh, website, too, that the uh, the publisher had went out of business and kind of left a, a, a bad taste in your mouth for publishing right from the beginning. <laughs> it was fun. I, I really enjoyed those books. Uh, they, I owe my career to those books because the first one came out the same week this guy Bernard Getz was uh, blowing away muggers on a New York subway train. Vigilantes were hot. New World Pictures bought the movie rights to my book and hired me to write the screenplay, and that's how my uh, Hollywood career was born. Oh. I, I, I don't know if you're aware, but I, I wrote and produced thousands of hours of television. I was the executive producer of Diagnosis Murder for many years. I also wrote for Monk and Sequest and Baywatch and Hunter and a whole bunch of shows. And I cre- co-created the current hit uh, Hallmark TV series, Mystery 101, and I'm also writing Darrow and Darrow movies for the network. So I've stayed active in television and film at the same time I've been uh, writing novels. Oh, I didn't realize that Ian Ludlow, uh, your books kicked that, uh, that career for you. That's so interesting. Yeah, I owe my career to Ian Ludlow, even now. <laughs> and um, so what's the... Uh, approaching writing a, a novel versus a... a a screenplay or a teleplay, what's the, I mean, is it like the same, is it completely different? 
It's totally different. There are two entirely different ways of telling stories. A book, you describe everything. You are the director, you're the location manager, you're the actor, you're the wardrobe designer, you're the set decorator, you're everybody. A screenplay, the story has to be revealed entirely through action and dialogue. If characters don't say it or do it, it doesn't happen. And a, a screenplay is sort of like a blueprint for a house. It's a document that other artists use to do their work. The set builders, location managers, the director, the lighting people. It's, it's a different way of writing, a different way of telling a story, and there are all kinds of other creative restrictions on it as well. So I, I had the bizarre experience a few years ago of writing scripts for the TV series Monk at the same time I was writing Monk novels, and they were two different ways of writing Monk and two different kinds of Monk stories, and it would deeply mess me up. Yeah, that was so so weird. And they use like a different type of like, I don't know, what do you use to write a screenplay? Is it like a word or is it something different? No, no, it's a whole different type of software. I mean, the final draft is what many uh, screenwriters use. It's it's not it's it's a, it's the format is completely different than a book. Hmm. It's basically just a few lines setting up what the scene is, and then everything is driven by dialogue. And it just has the the character names and the dialogue with a few stage directions. It's not the dense writing that a book is. I can write a script in two weeks. It takes me five months to write a book. Oh, so the dialogue, that's, being a screenwriter probably helps. Uh, do you find that it helps with your uh, books, with the dialogues? Oh, it, it helps them enormously yeah. with the books. Because in, in, a, in a screenplay, you can't have exposition. or You, you have to have it, of course, but you, you try to minimize it because exposition, the details about characters and the details about plot are boring. You want to, to express everything through action and dialogue. You want things to move fast. And nothing, there's nothing extraneous in a good screenplay. If it doesn't reveal character or move the plot forward, it's cut. And you only have a certain number of pages for a movie and a certain number of pages for a TV episode. And your story has to be told within those restrictions. So using those skills uh, of, uh, from writing scripts in books has made my books move a lot faster and, and, and be a lot tighter in the storytelling. I, I use most of the screenwriting techniques that I've picked up in my books to create that fast-moving, lean feel. And its I think it helps set my books apart from other writers. Yeah, that's what I was, when you mentioned that about the screenplay and the dialogue, that's the first thing that came to my mind because your dialogue's so great in your uh, in your books that I was like, oh, that's the connection. <laughs> do you do How much research do you put into these books uh, before you actually sit down and start to write them? I do a lot of research. I, I go to all locations, I say all, but the majority of locations in the book. So, for instance, in Fake Truth, there's a large portion that takes place in Portugal, so I jumped on a plane and went to Portugal. I, I go to the places I write about because I pick up details that I wouldn't otherwise know about, that you can't get from Google Earth or reading a Rick Steves travel log. And it helps give my plot a sense of, of reality, but also some, some unique color that, that grounds it for the reader. And then if I'm reading about a particular type of technology or um, politics or, or whatever. I, I do a lot of research in, with them. Um, I'll get reference books or textbooks, or I'll actually reach out to experts in the field and interview them. But research is a big part of, of, of my, my, my writing. And uh, we, you were always a fan of the uh, thriller genre. I mean, you started writing that when you were in your late teens, I guess, because your first book was out when you were 19. <laughs> Yeah, I've always been a fan of thrillers. I love them. I love crime novels. I like the natural 
narrative engine that comes with a crime or with with a, a thriller plot. There are real stakes. There's a there's something moving the story forward besides love. You know, or, <laughs> or, or, or I don't know if I could ever write a straightforward novel because the conflicts and stakes wouldn't be high enough for me. I would get bogged down. I like the momentum that a crime story gives you. Yeah, you you, you want to start blowing things up, right? <laughs> blowing things up, shooting people, you know, and 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 the stakes are life and death. I mean, maybe I could write a medical thriller, and and, and you know, on TV, I've written all kinds of things. Uh, I've written about lifeguards and on Baywatch. I've written about werewolves and She Wolf of London. I've written about doctors and diagnosis murder. I've written about lawyers and Darrow and Darrow. I mean, I've, I've written in so many different fields and so many different genres on TV that you can find a way to create conflict if you have to in, in places where you wouldn't think there'd be conflict because conflict is what drives the story and uh, that's always where i start what is the conflict how can i put my characters in the most high pressure situation as possible that's where i'll get my laughs that's where i'll get my drama and do you uh, outline these uh, before you start to write them or i always outline i know where i'm going i i, I don't like making it up as i go along and I think I can usually tell nine times out of ten when I'm reading a book by someone who doesn't outline. You can you can don't, you can read them trying to find the story, <laughs> and then when they find it, you can see them go off in that direction. They don't go back and and cut all the treading water stuff that they had. They're too lazy to do that. It's especially true with some big best-selling authors. They just they just make it up as they go and are too lazy to go back and fix it. And and the, their editors seem to be too afraid to tell them to go back and fix it. And what's your what's your writing processes? I mean, do you usually like uh, do you, when you're trying to uh, working on a book? Do you say I'm going to write X amount of words a day, or do you just kind of how organized do you nope. get? No, each each book I have, I have a deadline, and all I know is I'm going to make that deadline. Mm. And I don't put too much pressure on myself. I've learned that that I'll get the book done. Uh, I've never missed a deadline. Even when I had two broken arms, I've never missed a deadline. And my writing formula, not formula, but my my writing rituals is more or less the same though it gets adjusted by whether I have a script I have to write at the same time I'm writing a book, which, which happens frequently during the course of writing a book. But generally, I, I do my best writing between 8 p.m. and 2 in the morning. And then I go to bed at 2, and I wake up at 10 a.m., and I spend the day rewriting what I, write, what I wrote the night before and also doing whatever I have to do during the day business-wise, um, writing scripts, um, working on my publishing company, Brash Books, doing interviews, whatever, well, I spend the day also rewriting what I wrote the night before, and then I start writing fresh at 8 p.m. And I just do that cycle until the book is done. Oh, wow. So, yes, yeah, so you're like at, uh, burning, uh, burning the midnight oil when you were writing your books. <laughs> well, that's just, uh, it's, it's in my DNA. I think it's baked in because if I have a question about a word or uh, something I can't figure out or whatever, I can text my brother Todd, who's a writer, at 1.30 in the morning. He'll write me right back. He's on the same <laughs> schedule. Or I can shoot a note to my sister, who's a lawyer, and she'll be up at the same time, too, working on a brief. It's, it's something about the way we were raised or in our DNA that we just are more creative between 8 p.m. and 2 in the morning. So I, mean, I still get a good, healthy eight hours of sleep every night. It's just between 2 and 10, ordinarily. Um, but there are some situations, like this morning we're talking earlier than, than usual for me. But that's also I, I travel to... Uh, to promote my books, and so I can't always keep on that that schedule. Um, but even though I can't keep exactly that schedule, I still do my best writing at night. That's not to say I don't write well during the day because I work on my scripts during the day. Maybe it's just I'm better at writing books at night. Yeah, you, and you mentioned your brother. You're, he, he's also a crime uh, fiction writer. Yes, Todd Goldberg. 
Well, so it runs in the family. <laughs> we had the great experience a couple years ago uh, being on the New York Times bestseller list the same week. I was number one, and he was number five. And that was a real thrill. But we're not the only brother duo out there. I mean, uh, Lee Child's uh, real name isn't Lee Child. His brother, Andrew Grant, is a writer. And, uh, in fact, Andrew is taking over the Jack Reacher books. And he's going to call himself Andrew Child. (laughs) I read about that. Yeah, Lee Child's retiring. Yeah. Oh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. It seems that's the that's the thing now. Tom Clancy. I mean, even after they're dead, they're still pu- publishing books. Yeah, well, I'm, I may be more productive when I'm dead than I am alive. <laughs> Who knows? Well, <laughs> so I will say this: I think Ace Atkins is writing better Spencer novels now than Robert B. Parker was the last few years of his life. Oh, I'll have to check those out. I haven't read the newer ones. They're terrific, mm-hmm. but stay away from the new Spencer movie on Netflix. It's horrible. Oh, I haven't seen that one. No. <laughs> Okay, so let's check that one out. And so you still find time, obviously you still find time to read, you still enjoy the genre? Oh yeah, I read yeah. all the time. Yeah. I love to read. That's how you stay up on, on your industry. So do, you, so do you get a little worried at all about the uh, how close to the real events to uh, fake truth is about? Or, or are you just curious to see how fans are going to react about it? Or <laughs> I am concerned that people say, oh, Lee Goldberg's a hack who just rips <laughs> stuff from the headlines. So I do have an afterword in the book where I say, you know, this book was written over a year ago, and none of this had happened yet. I made it up. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, particularly in the case of fake truth, I found myself rewriting my outline all the time because reality kept intruding. But I realized I would never finish the book if I kept that up, so I finally just had to accept it and push on. And my editor laughs about it. She'll send me articles and say, well, your book just came true again. Like, damn. And I would go back and rewrite. But now I, I don't do that. I, I, not if I want to make my deadlines. Yeah, that's going to be really frustrating. Like, you think, yeah, you're, you're, you're writing this, and then all of a sudden it's in the news, and then you're like, oh, man. <laughs> I can see how that can mess with your head. Oh, I came up with, it was a killer thriller, this notion that uh, children's toys and other stuff made in China had a, a hard-wired back door that would allow the Chinese to spy on you. And then it came out that that was exactly what was going on. Yeah. In fact, a bunch of cameras that were at U.S. naval bases and stuff that had a, a, a chip that was made in China had to be pulled because the Chinese were using it to spy on top-secret sites in America. I made that stuff up, and it was happening. It was like, Jesus. <laughs> And I, even I had my character, Ian uh, Ludlow, say that the reason the Chinese are buying up all these hotel chains was not to own the hotels or the property, but to get all the credit card data and be able to spy on all the people who are using the hotels. It was a surveillance operation, not so much a real estate operation. And sure enough, that turned out to be true, too. It was just... <laughs> yeah, you just have to throw your hands in the ears and just write the stories. <laughs> just so it was just so frustrating, and it was even, uh, I don't want to reveal a twist in, in uh, Fake Truth. There's a twist I came up with in Fake Truth that I thought was so clever and so fun, and then it happened. I was like, damn! But I don't want to reveal the twist because it's, it's still kind of a surprise in, in Fake Truth. But <laughs> so, what's, uh, so what's next for the uh, Ian Ludlow series? Do you have uh, more books planned? I don't know, actually. My contract is up, so oh. I may be working at Arby's after this <laughs> phone call. That'll be the next interview from your Arby's shift. <laughs> there you go. I'll talk to you about the imaginative things I'm doing with beef. 
it's been such a busy year for you. We already uh, touched on this. Two books this year. Uh, you have another one from the uh, the Eve Ronin uh, coming out as well next year too, right? Yes, that book's already finished. It's called Bone Canyon, and that's another one where something I came up with came true while I was writing it, but um, I forged ahead anyway. That book is already finished. The cover, I think, may even be up on Amazon now. It's available for pre-order. And it picks up just a few weeks after the demise, the, demise, the end of, <laughs> of uh, Lost Hills. But you don't have to have read Lost Hills to read Bone Canyon. The, the book stands alone. It's a police procedural. And hopefully I'll be starting work on the third Eve Roden book in just a few weeks. All right. That sounds uh, fantastic. And so Fake Truth comes out April 7th, uh, yep. 2020. So uh, for the listeners, go out and pick it up. Pick up uh, five or six. Yeah. For your whole family. Yeah, Pick we don't want you to. Your dog. It's a great chew toy. <laughs> yeah, we don't want Lee to, to have to go work at Arby. So, <laughs> all right, Lee. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. I really uh, enjoyed uh, talking to you. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Meet the Thriller Author. You can visit our site at get.thrillingreads.com forward slash podcast for more information on our podcasts. And you can also subscribe to this podcast uh, on your favorite podcatcher like iTunes, the most popular one, of course. Uh, Just search for Meet the Thriller Author and you'll find me there. And I'm also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash meet thriller author love to hear from you love to hear your comments and your feedbacks on the shows and i'll have a new podcast a new interview with a thriller author uh, i'll be posting them every tuesday so stay tuned for that and don't forget to subscribe and please visit my author website at alanpeterson.com